fun fact about me, Joe. I would love to hear a fun fact about you, Libby. A fun fact about me is that one of my favorite guilty pleasure movies is 1992's Cool World by Ralph Bakshi. Really? Yes. I have a real soft spot for that garbage film. I have always wanted to go as Hollywood for Halloween. And what has stopped you? I live in upstate New York and I would fucking freeze to death. And also no one would know who I was. They would think I was a slutty Marilyn Monroe. And I don't feel like explaining no. I'm Hollywood from Ralph Bakshi's 1992 film, Cool World. Well, I mean, they wouldn't be wrong, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, specifically, no. It's Hollywood from 1992, Cool World. <laughs> so that, alas, is a dream unfulfilled. <sighs> If I had to f- dress up as any character from Cool World, I guess I could stuff myself into a the talking head suit and play Brad Pitt's character. I don't know. I think you should be Nails. Nails. <laughs> I could probably pull that off, you know? Give me a, a, a weird derby and a, a, a chomp on a cigar. I could probably pull that off, yeah. Yeah. I think I could. I think I could. Actually, in rewatching this, Nails is my favorite character. <laughs> Oh, Nails is such a cool character. <laughs> such a cool character. I'm going to say cool like 6,000 times in this episode, and you're going gonna, gonna to have to stop me. Anyway, hi. Yes, welcome to the OST Party, uh, a podcast where movie fans and music fans come together to have a rocking good time talking about movie soundtracks of all sorts. Hi, my name is Joseph Wade. And I'm Libby Cudmore. And this week on the show, we are discussing the 1992 Ralph Bakshi uh, turbo flop, Cool World. <laughs> Fun, surprisingly, has an amazing soundtrack. It is the only thing he did right. <laughs> and, even, and he didn't even do it, so no. I don't know who to credit for this, this amazing <laughs> soundtrack. Um, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, but Libby, uh, tell us a, 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 real quick, what is Cool World? Yeah, so it follows cartoonist Jack Deeps, who's just been released from prison, and his comic book creation, Cool World, uh, he gets sucked into the cool world by the devilish Hollywood who wants to seduce him so that she can become real and move to Las Vegas and become Marilyn Monroe or something like that. Meanwhile, uh, geez, I don't even know how to explain this. <laughs> Meanwhile. This movie is complicated. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, Frank Harris, uh, played by Brad Pitt, uh, is a... Uh, Human cop, annoyed cop, as they call it, who uh, got sucked into the cool world after a drunk driving accident that killed his mother. He wasn't drunk. He was hit by a drunk driver. And he is trying to protect the cool world from chaos that would result from Holly touching the spike at the top of a Vegas casino. Uh, And that was a terrible explanation of cool world. also, the, the spike the spike at the top of the Vegas casino is uh, Jack's penis. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Sorry. It's true! <laughs> it, the whole movie is, is, about, is about Brad Pitt trying to stop Hollywood from touching a human spike. I didn't think of it that way. Probably because I, I think I first saw this movie when I was about nine years old. 
Mm-hmm. So like like most people who saw Cool World thinking like, oh, this looks like Roger Rabbit. Oh, God. No, it's not. Oh, oh it's totally not. Oh, yeah, boy. This is oh. a movie that like I encountered on HBO when I was a kid and was immediately turned off. But like, OK, this is definitely not for me. Like I was young enough. You're to a point- fucking narc. No, I was young enough to the point to be like, all right, this is like I can't be in the room. And when the the next time I encountered it was uh, last week when we watched it for this podcast. Oh my God, no, I've always loved this movie because I always I was uh, even as a kid I was very attracted to sort of the classic femme fatale look, mm-hmm. and you know the cover is is her in the white dress, and I thought like that looks like a cool movie, and it was rated PG thirteen, so our real our kind of scumbag video store across the street from my house. Like, they're like, yeah, whatever. They probably would have sold me cigarettes, too. Um, <laughs> and I think I watched it with uh, my friend Paulina. And it was weird because I was, like, afraid to watch A Little Shop of Horrors, but, like, Cool World, I was like, yeah, let's watch this weird adult movie. So it's, and it's Instead. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's essentially uh, it's... Hollywood wants to cross over and become real. She it's it's like a perverted uh, take on Pinocchio. Like she wants to be a real girl. Yeah, and, and a real girl who looks like Kim Basinger. Which I mean, let's be real. In 1992, we all wanted to look like Kim Basinger. She's a pain. F- I mean, I wanted to. I don't know. Speak for yourself. I wanted to look like Brad Pitt. <sighs> We're gonna get into my deep hatred of Brad Pitt. I'm sure. Okay, that <laughs> sounds like fun. Uh, yeah, this is. This was my first time watching this, like all the way through, and I it. Its reputation kind of, I guess, preceded it a little, a little bit because, like, yeah, I always heard that it was like a dark, twisted take on Roger Rabbit, and then watching it, like, you realize, oh, it's kind of an incompetent, uh, <laughs> sad attempt at replicating what Roger Rabbit does so well. Yeah, it's a weird, sloppy, pseudo noir. Actually, the, in watching it again for this, the thing that sort of came closest for me was Sin City a dame to kill for and just that it is an incompetent voiceover filled mess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of off camera like voice talking and Gabriel Byrne like rasping in a weird sort of uh rough guy accent. It just that's that's what struck me. It's just a mess. And it also the ending of the, this film also kind of reminded me of the the one of the last Sin City books, Helen Back. Just that weird yeah. freak out where like all these cartoon things are like mashing themselves together. Even though like, I think I think this probably inspired Helen Back because Helen Back came out like eight years later. Yeah, that's true. I'd, you know what? We're gonna uh, we're gonna say that this actually did inspire it. We're gonna say it here. Frank Miller can uh, can find us and fight us. Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Come the fuck at me, Frank Miller. Come at me. Come at me, you anthropomorphic uh no, I don't know. (laughs) I don't want to be mean to Frank Miller. He looks like he's melting in every picture he's ever taken of him. So um So yeah. (laughs) Anyway, uh so this the soundtrack for this movie is way better than the movie. Oh my god, it's light years better than the movie. It is just this weird like collection of like early '90s da- uh, EDM dance pop kind of tunes, with mixed with some scuzzy, like I don't know, music that's almost grunge, but almost just kind of like this side of the hair metal uh, collapse. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, this it's a lot of like really weird gothic kind of dance pop, which is a weird sort of phrase I never thought I'd hear myself say. Yeah, it's definitely this very '90s uh, club scene 
Yeah. Uh, I had a friend who worked as a nightclub bartender in the 90s, and this is the kind of thing, that a lot of ministry, the cult, my life at the Thrill Kill cult, um, very early Moby. Yes. Before play hits, when, you know, Moby really is just kind of hashing it out. He was saying that Moby would play at the at the bar that he worked at, which was like a little, like, nightclub in New Haven. This was the version um, of Moby that Eminem made fun of in that one video. <laughs> Like nobody, nobody listens care. to techno. Yeah, that and this is before uh, you know EDM got that when it was called techno. Yeah, um, yeah, or house music. And it's weird because it's a lot of sort of uh, in David Bowie's case, obviously seventies and eighties artists like emerging sort of near their end, right? And the cult and, and ministry, and then you know newcomers uh, like Moby. And my life at the Thrill Kill Cult stepping up. So it's a, a sort of wonderful uh, bridging of that gap. Right. It's Yeah, it's kind of a, a a changing of the guard as far as the dance scene goes. Yeah. And I think um, the one that probably best emphasizes that would be uh, Play With Me by the Thompson Twins. Yeah, definitely. So, because... In listening to this, you know, you think of the Thompson Twins, you think, hold me now. And this mm. is not hold me now. This is not at all, no. This is, there's nobody's wearing a fluffy shirt in this. But I know they were more into like sort of like the new wave dance pop kind of scene. So this is, I think, maybe more of what they're known for, I guess. Mm-hmm. Okay. But it was such a surprise to me because I really only knew them from that, you know, 80s. Yeah. I think a lot of people. New romantic. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've got a few a few fun facts about this soundtrack to to read off for you. Uh, welcome All back right. to the welcome back to Billboard chat. All right. Um, so this so the the album Songs from the Cool World is what it's called entered the Billboard 200 on August 1st, 1992 at number 89, uh, which is as high as it would go. And then over the next like six weeks, it would slowly drop off. Um, but in that time, the, over, over those six weeks, the number one album in the country. Billy Ray Cyrus's Some Gave All. Oh. Not a great time. I know, we had we had a choice. And we may, honestly, I was talking about this with a friend the other night. The fact that we even let Billy Ray Cyrus become what he was, I think that was when the timeline skewed. That was when, you know, when, when Biff got the almanac. That was when we, as a country, made a choice to be fucking garbage. But what's crazy is I don't think any of us realized it until Billy Ray Cyrus got a second act in the late 2000s, thanks to his kid. Uh, I know. Uh. We, we made this happen. This is on us. This is on you, America. <laughs> but, you could have uh, had David Bowie. You could have had David Bowie, but instead you took Billy Ray Cyrus. And look what happened. I hope you're happy, everybody. Uh, anyway, uh, so other um, music soundtracks in the top 100 the same week that Cool World debut. Let me just run them off here. Number 14 uh, was Mo Money. Huh. Number 52 was the soundtrack to Singles. Ooh. But num- uh, number 73 was The Commitments. I don't even know that one. <laughs> number 81 was Beauty and the Beast. Had it. And number 93 was Wayne's World. So good company. Pretty good company. Very good company. And also the same week, uh, Ministry's Psalm 69 debuted at 27, which also features uh, NWO, which is on this soundtrack. Right. So it's a big week for ministry. Yeah, way to go, guys. <laughs> who 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 got N, who got NWO play, put into this soundtrack for all of like four or five seconds? Yeah, where does that one even play? It's um that weird shot over Las Vegas when we're flying into the prison to meet uh, Jack Debs for the first time. Right. 
and it, it's 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 like I don't know. It's such a weird intro for him because it's just like this the most nondescript like industrial metal like speed kind of music and then all of a sudden like oh we're in jack's cell and he's drawing pictures of hollywood and then the ministry just cuts out yeah and he's gabriel byrne who by is a very pleasant looking fellow like he doesn't look like a dude who listens to ministry he looks like he's late to pick up his kid from soccer practice (laughs) but he does look like the kind of dude who would like sit in his prison cell and draw pictures (laughs) of sexy women okay i'll agree with that (laughs) (laughs) And those dudes do not listen to ministry, I guess. I Sure, why not? Ralph Bakshi wants us to believe that they do. I mean, he's, I, I kind of feel like he's playing Ralph Bakshi, right? Probably. Like, this is like, this movie is all of Ralph Bakshi's worst tendencies sort of played out on film. Yeah, it's his, it's his nervous breakdown, just like presented to all of us. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so where do we want to start with the soundtrack? I think we should kick off with uh, the top single um, and track one, which is Real Cool World by David Bowie. I really don't know this for a fact. I just kind of assumed this is one of only two songs that were explicitly written for the film. Yes. Because this one and uh, the cults of the witch like directly reference the cool world in the lyrics of the song. Yes. Um, way to go actually being able to understand cult lyrics. That's... I looked it up. <laughs> oh, okay. Cheater. <laughs> um, this was uh, the first David Bowie solo in three years mm-hmm. after the breakup of Tin Machine. And we had it, and we gave it up for Billy Ray Cyrus. I just want to remind everybody that, what you had and what you gave up. Yes. And this one uh, plays twice in the film. There's an instrumental version uh, when Harris goes to Lynette's apartment. Okay. And it's really just sort of, um, you know, it's the first probably minute with no lyrics. And then it plays over the end credits. Which was a surprise to me because I remembered it like in my head playing over the opening credits. Right. But instead, over the opening pr- credits, we get uh, Play With Me by the Thompson Twins. Yes. But um, I Which... really love this song forever. I think this is one of my favorite David Bowie songs. I think it is a just a phenomenal song. It feels like it's bouncing back and forth like through your skull, like one ear you know, out in, out in, like a ping pong ball. I love it. Yeah, it uh, like a pulse. Don't take this the wrong way, but I did. Wow, I did wind up listen, when I was when I was listening to this. I did kind of wind up sort of tuning David Bowie out just because the the actual like beat of the song was so good. Yeah, it's so, like the lyrics That's are fair. kind of in the kind of an afterthought almost. Yeah, it's just an incredibly well composed and weird song. Yeah, it really is. But um, I, yeah, I, I do enjoy the actual the actual like. I guess the instrumentation of it is great. Yeah. So I, I, I used to listen to this a lot um, when I was traveling because there's something about the, the rhythm of it that mm-hmm. is very mollifying. So <laughs> if I was nervous traveling, like it would soothe me. I could listen to it actually to fall asleep. Um, but it also has a really great slick dance floor beat. Yeah. So, so what, what is this song about? I'm going to say that, you know, the, 
The temptation is to assume that everything is about Hollywood because she is the main character. Mm-hmm. But I think it's about Lynette. I think it's about um, Brad Pitt and Lynette. And Lynette does not get enough of her own character work. But um, the face of seduction was you. I listen for each and every footstep in this real cool world. You whisper sweet nothings, but reading between your lines, I listen, color me doubtful. Um, hmm. You came from nowhere. You came from nowhere. You held me. You shook me. I mean, he does kind of come from nowhere. That's Brad Pitt true, just yeah. Drops in. So, you know what? I buy that. I totally yeah. buy that. Yeah. Um, and, and, and you're right. Like, I, I wish we had gotten a little bit more of Lynette in the film because she's just kind of, you know, she's that uh, film noir character. Not She's not the femme fatale, but she's, uh, is there a term for the other girl in a film noir? The I should know this. So, and I don't, but um, she's. She's the good girl. She is just the sort of faithful companion. Yeah. Um, she's not, she's a, a romantic character. So she's not like Effie Perrine in The Big Sleep, or sorry, The Maltese Falcon. Effie Perrine in The Maltese mm. Falcon. But um, she, is, she is a faithful companion. She stands by him. I don't love that her main objective seems to be like getting at Brad Pitt D, but. You know, this, this, but it's cool fa- world. That, that's a factor of how you feel about Brad Pitt, isn't it? No, it's actually because she's not given anything other than like whining about like, why can't we be together? Like, bitch, you know why they can't be together. Like, it's so, it's sort of like being jealous of Holly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. it's, she's not really ever given, if, if, but, if um, there was no Harris, there would be no need for Lynette. Right. But since you brought it up, uh, why can't they be together? Noids do not have sex with doodles. It's the oldest law in cool world. Because for whatever reason in the cool world, I guess enough humans come through where they had to have a uh, a rule put down. You can't fuck a human. Even if he looks like Gabriel Byrne. That's such a weird thing in the movie. Like the one yeah. and only rule is that you can't fuck a cartoon or you can't fuck a human. And they only they apparently only have one police officer in all of Cool World, and it's it's Brad Pitt and nails. Don't and, and nails. Okay. Well, you see you see uh, uh, Frank's police badge on it, and it just says like uh, his badge number is one. <laughs> so I just assumed he's the only actual detective. Nails is just kind of like his hanger on deputy. Yes. <laughs> psychic but um yeah that there's only that that one rule and that it had to be established which means at some point and i don't know if that was vegas Vinny, maybe so a cartoon did fuck a human yeah and all hell broke loose and i feel like that line probably inspired anime just like and dudes forever longing to fuck cartoons. Yeah, like especially like nowadays, like you always see that sort of uh, I don't want to call it a stereotype, but just I guess a, a recurring trope of the the artist who who's uh, drawing who's at his drawing board and his and his creation is like reaching out to meet him. So yeah. I think I think Cool World might have, um, if not created it, definitely sort of popularized it. I mean, ultimately, it's sort of it's a film noir take on the myth of Pygmalion. Um, who created a woman out of ivory. Uh, after he saw her, she was so beautiful that he fell in love with her, and Aphrodite granted his wish. Okay. And that is the basis for My Fair Lady. It is essentially the basis for Cool World, only 
it's flipped on its head and it it's not a happily ever after. Right, right. So, well, I guess it is because in the end they end up together, but Holly's miserable. So, um... yeah, the, the, the sort of the, the two couples of the film do end up together. Spoiler alert for Cool yeah. World, I guess. Um, she wasn't yeah, gonna w- watch anyway. Yeah, but but yeah, one couple ends up miserable, and the other couple ends up happily ever after. Yeah. So, um, so it is kind of a a classic story, just on fucking indu- like military grade uh acid <laughs> yeah there's 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 a weird there is a weird like military component to this film too especially with like uh frank's introduction because like he's he's coming home from world war ii and the first thing that happens to him is he takes his mom out on a ride on a motorcycle and they she gets killed and so like the whole movie i'm, I'm imagining frank is like it, it's, it's this whole thing is like a metaphor for frank dealing with ptsd by imagining himself in this weird like cartoon universe and huh. becoming, you know, the the one the sheriff in in Cool World, basically. Well, yeah, and the idea be that um, Jack talks about this. Um, he as he's talking to Holly uh, when we first in, first meet him, like I couldn't have survived this prison stretch without you. Right. And so there is this sense that uh, the film is ultimately dealing with trauma. And how we we process it because Jack thinks he invented the cool world, he didn't. But did Frank? That's that's kind of what we're led to believe, isn't it? Well, I mean, because... but no, no, no. He Frank couldn't have because the like when we see Frank entering the cool world, it's it's, it's fully formed. It's fully formed in that. The, what's the scientist's name? Um, but the little scientist guy is like peeking. He's like got the 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 spike and he's peeking into the real world There's... and he. That's how Frank comes through. Yeah, the scientist is um, Dr. Vincent Whiskers. Right. Um, and he's voiced by Maurice LaMarche. As are a lot of characters in this film. Yes. Uh, the voice cast in this is actually really, really, really impressive. Uh, Charlie Adler, who originated the voice of Buster Bunny on Tiny Toon Adventures, mm-hmm. yep. plays Nails. Uh, Candy Milo. Uh, who was also in a lot of Nickelodeon animations, uh, is Lynette. Uh, obviously, you've got Maurice LaMarche, who's a legend. Um, there's a lot of really, really great uh, cast in this. There's a couple ways to look at it. If you want to look at it through a weirdly feminist lens, it's how uh, women are, in a sense, created to help men with trauma. Yeah. Because Lynette, again, doesn't have a personality. She's just sort of there uh, to comfort Brad Pitt with her tube top and her miniskirt. Um, and Holly is, though she's a femme fatale, Jack thinks he created her as his fucking spank bank yeah, basically. for prison. And then apparently there's a scene in the comic shop, which always cracks me up. Um, the, he's like the biggest comic creator in the whole world. They've got like all his comics forever. Uh, and and I, I love that one detail where it's like the, you see the comic on the wall and it's, it's, it says it's autographed by uh, uh, Jack Deebs, who is in prison. Yeah, like, <laughs> yay, thank you for that. And then yeah, the great, yeah. the, the great uh, uh, Exposition Express like pulls into the station like, you should write a comic about that man you killed. Well, he was in bed with your wife that sent you to prison. <laughs> that comic book shop, by the way, is a real place. I've been there. Really? It's in, it, what, 
It's in Las Vegas. It's off of, of Fremont Street, which you, you see in the film, like Jack is mm-hmm. cruising down Fremont Street, which is like the old Las Vegas. Yeah. And it's just kind of the down the side street. I don't think it's called real world comics like it is in the movie, but it, it's, def- it's definitely still there uh, as of like 2012 was when I was there. So go to Vegas, yeah, go, go to uh, cool, real world comics and buy some of uh, Jack Deeb's autographed comics. You Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm... Um, yeah, so that's actually, I think we've touched on something. So I think what we've sort of come to the conclusion is Cool World is actually brilliant. It's basically the Saving Private Ryan of animated films about trauma. Absolutely, welcome, yes. Good night, everybody. This, is, this, <laughs> this, is, this has been a PTSD talk <laughs> with Joe and Libby. So. That's, no, that's terrible. I feel bad about, I feel bad about that. <laughs> yes. But no, but there is... Uh, no, but there's, there's that component to it. There's that component yeah. of like, uh, you know, post-war trauma creating these sort of weird and and sort of gothic and grotesque animated like creations. Like we we see, you know, like the comic the comics boom of the '50s kind of is born out of uh, artists coming back from World War II and just sort of drawing their frustrations out on paper. Mm-hmm. And that's well, kind of what Cool World is, really. Yeah, and that it has this very, uh, you know, '40s stylized. Mm-hmm. Uh, film noir aesthetic uh and it is it's got that like late 80s hyper grotesqueness to it but uh ultimately the sort of the and the and mark isham's jazz score really sort of underscores this you know no pun intended but it it has that noir vibe to it that harkens back to brad pitt's sort of 1945 uh entry into it Right, yeah. So it, it hasn't aged the way that, you know, we, when it's... I believe the film is set in 1991. Uh, I we think, can double yeah. check that. Um, so as, as as far as the movie's concerned, it's like present day. Yeah. Yeah. And so... But the cool world hasn't necessarily shifted. Uh, I mean, it's and, and the cool, stylized, but I mean, right. Lynette's still got this 1940s page boy haircut. Yeah, she, yeah, she's still like the the nineteen the, the classic sort of forties pinup model, mm-hmm. and everything like all the the cartoon characters in this world are like vintage like sort of you know Looney Tunes uh, Fleischer ca- cartoon characters really, um, just that that weird sort of uh, rubbery uh, bouncy sort of motion that you see in old like really goofy not not like Disney goofy but you know what I'm talking about like silly cartoons where yeah, you know um, anim- animals fall on characters and they go splat and things like that but yeah, that's so all over the film Fleischer Brothers I did notice in this watch um if you look in the scene where there's a little rabbit on a cannon that like a, a woman falls on a guy and then uh the cannon blows her away I believe that's stylized to look like Oswald the Lucky Rabbit Oh, which was okay. Walt Disney's first creation. Yes. Um, There's a and, lot of like subtle jabs at Disney in this movie. Yeah. Too. So, um, <laughs> and for sort of no reason. Yeah, really. Right. Um, the, I guess, I mean, we're kind of jumping around the film, but the one that I want to highlight at least is the scene where uh, Holly finally seduces Jack in the bedroom. <laughs> and then it cuts to this like family of rabbits. And the oh, mo- yeah. And, and the mother rabbit says, Man is in. That's like that's a nod to Bambi for basically no reason. 
Really? Man is in the forest. That's hysterical. I yeah. never made that connection. That's a riot. Um, other animators that get a shout out in this, uh, Tex Avery with the wolves. Uh, yes. An homage yes. to Red Hot Riding Hood and Swing Shift, Swing Shift Cinderella. So you see those sort of uh, well-dressed but levacious wolves. Which which will return when we when we get around to discussing the mask. Yes. Oh God. There was like there was a real like suddenly everyone. We're not going to discuss the mask, are we? N- not not tonight. Okay. All right. Wait. But there's, there's still the looming threat that we're going to talk about, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you're going to do this to me again, aren't you? Yes. I mean, <sighs> you know. Well, you know what? The mask soundtrack is pretty good. I enjoy the mask soundtrack. It's it's. You know what? We don't even have to talk about it. <laughs> No, but um, but yeah, there was that sort of Tex Avery revival that yeah. came uh, sort of mixed in with the neo swing mm-hmm. uh, movement in the late uh, mid to late nineties. Yeah, 90s. like I even I even remember like on the Cartoon Network at the time they had whole blocks of of cartoons late at night where it was like the Tex Avery show and the Frizz Freeling show and all these classic animators got their own block on Cartoon Network and yeah. like, that was kind of my education into the world of like classic animation. Yeah, and so um, there's definitely, uh, Tex Avery is a huge influence, clearly, on Cool World. And I do want to talk a little bit, um, and we'll actually get back into the music at some point. Yeah, we'll get there. Um, <laughs> but the the design of Cool World, I think, is one of the coolest pieces about it. Mm-hmm. Because he wanted it to look like you're walking through a painting. So the pieces of set that are real, sometimes you will see the beams supporting them, like you're looking behind, if it was a stage set. So they're built with fronts and then you see the support beams. And I think that is the coolest design. Yeah. They're all shagged. One of my favorite design choices in the whole film is like whenever you see uh, Frank driving up to a building, like his car is animated. Then once it stops, it becomes just a real car. But then Mm -hmm. you notice that the car itself is just, it's just a cutout of a car like plastered onto the set. Yeah, and I think that that is such a, a neat way of doing a set. And I've always wanted to... My husband designs uh, and builds theater sets for local companies and has. And I've always wanted to do something hyper-stylized like that. Um, similarly, Forbidden Zone uh, does that where they'll have... You know, they're showing a shelf. Everything is drawn on the shelf in chalk. Oh, yeah. And I think those are really, really neat design choices. Uh, everything about this film is great, except for the script. Basically, yeah. <laughs> this film would be amazing if it wasn't for the story. The story really <laughs> gets in the way of the anim- of the, the animation and the uh, the art design, you know? Yeah. And the, the animation is really, really, really well done. Uh, it's not quite Who Framed Roger Rabbit level, as far as when the the humans... When the noise are interacting with the doodles, but it's it still looks good. You look at it, you're like this actually really holds up, right? Like I think the 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 X factor there for Roger Rabbit is just that Robert Zemeckis is literally a crazy person who yeah. has a, an insane attention to detail, <laughs> and if they had even like a tenth of that drive for this film, it would look just as good. Yeah, but they still did a pretty good job, I think. Yeah, and um, and it has that. There's a sense when you look at. Uh, mid to or like early to mid nineties movies before mm. uh you started to see more computer graphics creeping in. Yeah, like pretty digital. Pra- yeah, and the the practical effects they still somehow look better. Like I can watch a movie 
from two or three years ago and be like, that looks really dated. That looks like something that came out in 2015. Whereas this, it still looks good despite like, oh, it came out in 1992. Like it's still, it, oh, there's yeah. something about it that has like a real polished patina to it. Well, I think like the, the real, like, com- I guess, uh, difference between this and Roger Rabbit is that like whereas in Roger Rabbit if a cartoon character is holding a a real pen they'll just say well okay we'll we'll hang that pen from a string and we'll really carefully manipulate it on in front of the camera whereas Mm -hmm. in Cool World they'll just say ah fuck it just animate the pen yeah and so there's little little shortcuts I think that they this this film uses but I think to I guess better effect because it, it just flows a little bit Mm-hmm. Better now. I'm knocking Who Framed Roger Rabbit. What's wrong with me? <laughs> <laughs> Which actually, I just picked up the soundtrack to that on vinyl. Ooh, I'm really excited about it. That's a good get. Yeah, it was. It was ten bucks. I was like, I, no, I have to have this right now. <laughs> so, so uh, <laughs> I guess speaking speaking of soundtracks, let's get back to uh, this soundtrack. Uh, the the second uh, song on the soundtrack is the Thompson Twins' "Play with Me," which, as we mentioned earlier, plays over the the opening credits of the film. When I was listen, driving around listening to this, and this song came on, my first thought was like, "This sounds like the menu select." Screen music for some like mid '90s video game. <laughs> like all of a but sudden, not the Cool World video game. But not the cool. No, this is like all of a sudden I'm playing 1080 snowboarding again, and <laughs> I'm I'm back to like 1995. But like this song and a lot of the dance music on this soundtrack really sounds to me like the kind of music that they stole for like mid '90s sports games. Mm-hmm. And I think it's part of because like just the the drive and. The sort of, I guess, the, the I don't want to say the techno quality of it, but the way it sounds so mechanical and, uh, I guess, not almost industrial is just, I don't know, this kind of music fascinates me. I don't, and yeah. I, I wouldn't personally dance to it, but I will oh, I, I will would. drive around all day listening to this. I was dancing to this in my living room earlier. I was <laughs> actually, um, anyone who has seen me dance, Hollywood is like my insp- my dance Inspiration and actually, when they animate her dancing, it is beautiful. It's my guess is it has to be rotoscope. Oh yeah, but it's it's like the so, most like the most carefully done sequence in the film is her dancing. Yeah, and it's I, gee, I wonder why. Yeah, it's but it's beautiful, and I love her outfit. I love that sheer net skirt. Oh yeah, um, and the, I've always wanted to wear thigh high boots. They don't work on me. I look like a pirate hooker. <laughs> <laughs> Can't pull it off, but. Um, I feel like this song was really kind of wasted. Almost, yeah, because like you get that first uh, taste of it in the opening credits, and then it's sort of just background noise for the rest of the film. Like a lot of the soundtrack is, is just background noise. Yeah, and it's so, it's really good. It's a really, I think this, of all the sort of wordless dance music on here, mm-hmm. I feel like this is the strongest piece. Yeah, right. like that, just that tune. Uh, 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 that's going to be in my head for weeks. Oh, yeah. And there is, um, it does have a, I don't want to say, like a, there's something about it that feels 1940s jazzy without being like neo-jazz. Or there's something about it that harkens to a sort of noir, uh, like, there's something dirty about it. It has this real like dirty 
sound, which yeah, I it's, really it's, like. It's very like grimy kind of dance pop, which yeah. you don't typically think of as being grimy, but this is it. Yeah. Uh, this this album is pretty grimy. Yeah. But you know, really like you know what I'm not let's back that up. <laughs> not forties. I'm thinking very like nineteen sixties, like fifties and sixties pinup. That's like what what comes to mind. Like mm, there's something yeah. very Betty Page about this, like like real like burlesque, like electronic burlesque. I think is right. Yeah, that's 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 the best way to put it. That's totally the best way to put it. Because mm-hmm. I, so. I I could definitely see a, a a whole burlesque show done to the soundtrack to Cool World. Oh my Let's, god! I'm gonna put I'm gonna build a Cool World burlesque show, and we will tour <laughs> the high school auditoriums and the half empty gymnasiums of this great nation. We will make tens of dollars <laughs> on this venture. <laughs> oh man. Oh, this movie is so terrible. But uh, <laughs> I mean, you know I, what? Five years from now, we're gonna see it because they will have run out of movies to put on Broadway, and it'll be like broad, the Cool World Broadway show. And oh, I'll, fu- I'll fucking go. Oh no! When trash. when when nineties nostalgia really kicks into gear, we're gonna see it. Like <laughs> we're still playing out eighties nostalgia, but nineties nostalgia slowly starting to ramp up, and I feel like eventually someone's gonna grab onto Cool World and say, "Hey, let's do something with this. Let's remake it with Demi Lovato." <laughs> uh she's she's had enough done to her already let's not oh but you know what i'll see it i'm fucking trash i know it so. i'll get i'll get trashed and go see it yeah just 100 this i really feel like should have been a cult film yeah and it's, 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 it's weird that it's not like, so. you don't hear anybody talking about this movie these days. Except me. Except for you. I will champion Cool World until the end. I know it's trash, but I will champion it until the end of fucking days. <laughs> I love this movie. Unapologetically love this movie. My husband mm. came home. He's like, you're watching Cool World? Like, uh, yeah. Ag- Obs. Ag- again? Obs, I'm watching Cool World. It's a great movie. <laughs> So, I, I will say that, like, when uh, yesterday when my brother and I were driving around town, I had this CD in the car, and round about I guess the seventh or eighth track, he his only his one and only comment for this entire soundtrack was just, "Cool World has a weird soundtrack." That's all he said. It really does. It, it just um, really does. But then it, it managed to spawn not one but two albums. I think it's kind of like they didn't mix in the Mark Isham stuff with this. Right, and I, I didn't get a chance to listen to this, but according to you, it's it's strikingly different than what's on this soundtrack. Yes, it is just, it's pure jazz. It's just, it's um, not, there's no vocals. It's just uh, really film noir jazz. Right, like the kind so, of jazz you would expect out of like a sort of cartoon film noir yep. kind of movie. Okay. Yep. Cool. So, any other thoughts on Play With Me by the Thompson Twins? No, it just makes me really want to play a Sega Saturn game. I don't know. <laughs> So <laughs> I, that's kind of my my overriding comment on most of this soundtrack is just like it just sounds like old video game music to me and I kind of love that. Yeah, that's um I that's I never quite understood techno. Um and I I knew people who were really 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 into it and I just never got it. Like this uh, surprise fact uh if you've been listening to our podcast um this soundtrack which seems like it should have massive attack on it does not have massive attack on it i, I think it's why. the only it's the only soundtrack out of the 90s that didn't have massive attack <laughs> i guess it was a little too under the radar for massive attack like even clerks managed to pull massive attack yeah cool world nah 
Yeah, and, and, but there are some, we're not going to get to all of them, but there are some um, some heavy hitters on here. We do have Brian Eno. Mm-hmm, yep. Um, That's a pretty good track. I, I don't have a lot to say about it, but I, I dig it. Yeah, but, um, uh, and then Industry and Seduction is the other dude from Thompson Twins recording solo. Oh, okay. Yeah, fun fact about Thompson Twins. Cool. Yeah. So, so yeah, where do we want to go from here? Um, I would like to jump ahead because otherwise we're just going straight down yeah yeah um but i would like to talk about sex on wheels which is sex my favorite on wheels yes. <laughs> i love this song this is actually my i do love real cool world but uh sex on wheels is probably my favorite track And it, and it comes at a great point in the film where there's like this weird chase scene that happens with, oh God, it's, it's, it's Jack and Holly. Yeah, being chased by like the cool world version of like Keystone Cops and just a bunch of cartoon like chase scene shit happens. And then meanwhile, Sex on Wheels is playing the entire time. I really love the scene. And it's, you sort of get a chance to look at, at cool world, uh, the highways and byways and get to see sort of more of it. Um, rather than just the nightclub in Holly's penthouse. Um, And it's really gorgeously animated. But I have always loved this song. This is the probably, like, if I look at my record collection, uh, this is the single, like, filthiest, nastiest sounding song I have. It's either that or White Zombie's cover of I'm Your Boogeyman. It's just Mm. like, this is music to strip by. (laughs) So, well, I mean, a lot of this soundtrack is, to be honest. Yeah, but this is like real, like stripper, like mm. bump and grind, and I love every fucking minute of it. I <laughs> love this song. Um, uh, before we get into the song a little bit, the version on the soundtrack is known as the Glamour Dyke mix. Mm-hmm. It is not the version that is in the film. That is closer to the album version. This was featured on their album Sexplosion, which has okay. a gorgeous cover. Um, I don't think it, it might be Betty Page. Um, if not, it's a real close Betty Page lookalike. Um, probably one of styled in like the Irving Claw uh, poses. Really gorgeous. And uh, but the version that's in the film is likely, and we can't confirm this, but I listen to every version of this that exists, and I believe it is the Motor City remix. How many versions of this song are there? There are a lot. This was a huge dance hit. I actually have a 12-inch given to me by my friend Matthew that he used to play at nightclubs um, that is Uh the LP, and uh, it's the radio edit and the LP version. Um, and for those of you who follow my Twitter record show, Record Saturday, we played this as one of our first, uh, singles parties. So I believe it was played during, uh, all the singles ladies in our first year. Oh, okay. So, um, and it's, it's just such a cool song, but the, uh, the Motor City edit or the Motor City remix features the, uh, piano a little more forward. Okay. So it really brings that like that sleazy kind of toy piano. Yeah. Um, which is the the best part of the song. It really it brings that a lot more forward. Uh as opposed to um 
some of the other mixes, but this is a little more of a standard like nightclub mix, the yeah. Glamour Dyke mix. It it almost kind of sounds like an Alice Cooper song to me. Oh yeah. Like this is the yeah. kind of thing he was doing in 1992. <laughs> Which and, Alice Cooper uh, uh, in 1992 was on the Wayne's World soundtrack doing yes. basically this. Yeah. <laughs> Which was, when did that chart? Or where was that? It was It was right about the same time, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, a few notches above Cool World, I believe. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, um, but the thing, I just, this is one of those songs that is kind of iconic to this film, I think. Mm-hmm. And well, it's it's placed so prominently that it kind of, it really does stand out. Yeah. And that it, it's weird because it wasn't, uh, they didn't release it as a single for this, which I was a little bit surprised about. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure when, I'm actually checking my LP now for when this album actually came out. But uh, um, I think this album came out, wait, wait, do you mean the Thrill Kill Cult album or the Cool yes, World Explosion. album? Yes, Explosion. Oh, okay, okay. So. No, so Explosion was 1991, so scrap all of that, because it would have uh, already been out. Okay, okay. Um, but the line that I've always really, really loved is, uh, history is written by winners, baby, so let's make a little of our own tonight. I always <laughs> thought that was such, like, I want that, like, I want that as, like, picture, like, a live, laugh, love decal that you hang on your wall. I want that, but in, like, a rat fank font. <laughs> like, in this house, we... <laughs> yeah, in this house, we appreciate my life at the Thrill Kill Cult. Awesome. <laughs> yes. Um, this movie also features two other. Uh, my it features actually three Thrill Kill Cult songs. But only two on the soundtrack, right? Yes, which yeah. is a goddamn shame. You put Moby on the fucking soundtrack. Nobody likes Moby. Yeah, there's two Mobies. There's two Mobies for the price of one. Nobody cares, Moby. Eminem was right, Moby. <laughs> yeah, nobody. <laughs> Um, that's, that's a shame because like the, the two Moby the two Moby songs on this soundtrack are, are like the two that I most associate with like that that video game kind of sound that I was talking about <laughs> earlier. Like I could just see that being like a mid '90s sort of extreme sports soundtrack. <laughs> like yeah, this is like this is like Road Rash or 1080 Snowboard, <laughs> and I'm, I'm I'm listening to Moby while I kick dudes on my motorcycle. It's so funny you say that. I'm actually picturing um throttle Ooh, yeah <laughs> so i'm picturing the dude from Thro- full throttle just like kicking people <laughs> so um but no the uh also featured on this yeah on the soundtrack is her sassy kiss which is not as sexy as sex on wheels nothing on god's earth is as sexy as uh sex on wheels her sassy kiss is not that sexy in general i don't think no, it's just not that great yeah. and you what they should have done was replace it with the devil does drugs Mm-hmm. which is the song that is playing when we first meet Holly in the nightclub. Okay, I could not place that song for the yep. life of me, but that's because it's not on the soundtrack. Yes, and, and because there's the lyrics, so you can't right. uh, You can't look it up. But um, somebody on YouTube, thank you, YouTube, um, had isolated the club scene and I uh, put what the song was. Mm. So, um... And that's the scene where we see the Tex Avery wolves and her awesome rotoscope dance moves. Yeah. So it's one of, it, it, it really was a shame that they, they didn't get that one on. Um, it, additionally, so there's a total of uh, five Thrill Kid Cult songs in the film. Sedusa, 
Yeah, I know. Um, they should have just done the soundtrack. Yeah. Um, and Holly's Groove. Holly's Groove was later retitled Strippers Only <laughs> and featured on the album Dirty Little Secrets. Sedusa was retitled The Smash Up and appeared as a bonus track on uh, My Life with the Thrill Cult Cult. Okay, cool. Uh, so do any of, are any of those songs in the scene where Holly and Jack finally uh, do the thing? I have no idea. Because I just kind of assumed, because I couldn't, I, was, I watched that scene a couple times, not because I was fascinated by it, but sure, for, sure. for purely academic cool. reasons, I, cool. I was like, all right, all right, all right. But no, I, I really wanted to find out, like, what's this song? I was trying to do my due diligence and couldn't figure it out. My guess is it, if I had to, I would say probably Sedusa. But uh, we should probably check that before we go to press with this. Um, I like in that scene that she's wearing gloves. Yep. She has, like, weird gloves on. And then takes them off. Um, I don't know what that's about. I don't know people's weird sex shit. I, I It was probably a factor of like, okay, this is a PG-13 film, but we're going to animate this woman having sex with this dude. What can we do to make this as sexy as possible without crossing over into our and our rating? It's like, well, yes. we'll give her gloves and we'll have her sexily take the gloves off. Yeah, but I mean, she's and, like grinding on him. Oh, yeah, she's grinding hard. And so. it's... Yeah. And it he seems what, like really bored of that. He, like, he, the, there's like the one shot where he like, he's, he, he's like talking about like, oh, you know, Frank told us we can't do this. And he's kind of terrified by it. Yeah. But also like, dude, this is your first lady out of prison. Enjoy. Relax. Enjoy it's yourself. Just, you, you, you only created this thing. Yeah, exactly. Like, don't <laughs> tell me you haven't spanked it to Holly. Right. So. Um, yeah, like you fucking murdered a dude. Are you really gonna let some copper tell you? Are you really scared of Brad Pitt? <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. Like Brad Pitt can't like strong arm anybody into doing anything in Cool World. Like, yeah. come on. <laughs> Least of all, Holly. Like he, there's that scene where he goes to Holly to like you know kind of impress upon her. Like, don't don't fuck this guy. <laughs> and and she is so like. Not not having any of it, like not listening to him, not even like paying him really much mind. But she's still trying to like get into his pants too, because like all she wants is <laughs> she, all she wants, wants that is, D. All she wants is that human D. You know, she is so thirsty. She, I would love to see Hollywood's Instagram. Oh God, it would be nothing but misattributed Marilyn Monroe quotes. Yeah, it really would. And like thirsty pictures, which is like Ugh. feeling cute. Might delete this later. <laughs> Or like there's that scene, like that scene where he's like, you know, giving her the talk and whatnot, and he he leaves and he's like, keep your legs crossed. And as soon as he's like out of the frame, she just kind of like slouches and, you know, let's spread <laughs> let's, some wide. Let's spread some wide, and then like a hundred cartoon characters pop out of the back of the couch to ogle that. Yeah, and she's wearing <laughs> underpants. Oh um, yeah, but but it's them. still like yeah. just that that pose and that that look on her face, like fuck you, you can't tell me what to do. Well, and it's also when you think about this movie uh, as the AIDS crisis is peaking and Ooh. that uh, feminine sexuality is the most dangerous thing in the cool world. Yeah, that's, I hadn't thought of that. It's placed solely on her and in a sense on Lynette, and that. It, it harkens back to that that film noir like feminine sex sexuality is dangerous it will fucking get you killed and she will like if she experiences pleasure it will destroy the universe 
I, you know, I hadn't thought about that. Like, this is kind of the the, the peak of the AIDS crisis, and just the just the idea that like there's a, a police officer po- like policing this this uh, weird sex act that nobody knows what will happen if it happens, but it's it's terrible and it might kill us all. Like, that's that's interesting. Yeah, and and again, like the the idea of policing women's sexuality. That this mm-hmm. cop seems to have nothing. You look at as he's walking through Cool World, people are gambling, they're drinking in the streets, they're shooting people with cannons. And he's just like, this bitch better not have sex. Like right. you got no other crime to deal with, Harris. But then, really? then again, like there's there's something about that that makes me wonder if it, this is if that's like a statement on Ralph Bakshi talking about animation and trying to keep adult themes out of animation, you know? I don't know well, because especially because all of his animation is so. I mean, he wrote Fritz the Cat. He wrote uh, he wrote one with such a racist title. I'm not even comfortable saying it. Oh yeah. That was, but that was like incredibly well acclaimed. For its statements on racism, but like I'm not gonna say the title. Um, yeah, yeah, I I know what you're talking, which one you're yeah. talking about. Uh, but maybe that's just a factor of like this film had a very troubled production, and like at a certain point, back back she like his hands were kind of off the the script, and they rewrote half of it. Mm-hmm. So maybe they were trying to write his sort of neuroses out of the film by that point. Yeah, because there's there's that there's a whole undercurrent of like you know Frank is trying to keep adult themes out of like you know keep adult themes in the form of sex out of the cool world Mm -hmm. and holly is just desperate to get get herself a piece of that action and it's sort of that push and pull between like adult themes versus like the cartoon world of of you know silly children's entertainment and i don't know i i feel like if this movie had a more cohesive script they could have like uh teased that out but it's it's more just like it's like it's right there under the surface like you can we can think about it and we can talk about it and tease it out. But like the film really doesn't really engage with that a whole lot. No, it doesn't engage with any of the, again, like really great ideas um, put forward. There's a lot of really good stuff in there. Again, um, how we deal with trauma, how we deal with, uh, how we interact with mass media mm-hmm. as, as an escape route for trauma and uh, how we view feminine sexuality as dangerous and right. the film was just like, no, here's a sexy lady dancing and now some cartoons. Like Exactly. It's um, like, it wants to have its cake, but then it also just wants to watch Holly dance for 90 minutes. <laughs> well, like, I guess masturbating with the cake. Uh, I mean, if, if you're into food play, sure. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, just, it, it gets weird. This it, film, it, it, it makes a mess. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, you know, touching the soundtrack, uh, you know, going back to that. The soundtrack is very adult-oriented, that it is nightclub music. You would have to be 21 or older to get past the velvet rope to dance to the soundtrack. Definitely. But they made a video game. And at that point, video games were aimed at children. Oh, yeah. Like, this is Super Nintendo, I guess. Sega Sega Genesis. Yeah. Um, And video games were for kids. But it's a movie that a kid couldn't see and certainly wouldn't get anything out of. Right. Like, if I had seen this when it came out, I don't know what I would have made of it. It would have made you a man is what I would have done. This. <laughs> but, um, but yes, yeah, so there's, there's a weird push and pull with that. Yeah, I don't know. So I just noticed something on the film's Wikipedia page now, and we're just talking about Wikipedia at this point. But it's it's interesting to me. Um, on Cool World's Wikipedia page, it says, Noids redirects here. For information about notifications of infectious diseases in the UK, see the UK statutory notification system. Whoa. So there's like a whole second like subtext regarding noids that we hadn't even touched on, but we kind of backed into it with the talk of like infectious diseases and whatnot. Huh. 
That so, is weird. Yeah. No, when they say noids in the film, my first thought is dominoes and the noid, which is, again, I'm sure totally inten- intended. And the well, fact that he doesn't show up in this film kind of surprises me. Yeah. Well, um, or humanoids, a sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, as I'm reading uh, about the Noid, the Noid is a physical manifestation of all the challenges inherent in getting a pizza delivered in 90 minutes or less. So you you look at the commercials and it was, there's a lot of like anvils dropping and things like that. Um, And that, uh, you know what, I'm drop all that that's i don't know, I, I don't know where that's going we're, yeah we're going we're getting we're just talking about like cartoon ephemera now and that's yes. fine like okay. that's what this movie is it's, it's just cartoon ephemera shoved <laughs> into like 90 minutes but whatever we'll, we'll move on yeah. okay any any other thoughts on my life with the thrill kill cult or uh sex no on I, sex on wheels is great though like i don't know i don't i don't know what to tell you about it. <laughs> just that it's amazing just that it's should amazing. be played at everything absolutely <laughs> weddings Gra- graduations veterans day yeah parades exactly this you know. like this song was like yeah this this one uh apparently like really gets people out on the dance floor that's it's good. just like it's such it a should. bump and grind yeah it's this is this is a jam um speaking of jams and, and songs that go on forever uh let's talk real quick about the cult and the song the witch yes Uh, so, Cool World really only spawned one radio single, uh, David Bowie's Real Cool World. But that did not stop the cult from releasing this as a single themselves, because there is a music video for this this song. Really? And the music video is basically the cult and their friends hanging out in a graveyard and performing quote-unquote witchcraft rituals. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. And that's when you look at the lyrics of the song, that's, it kind of bears that out, because it's very much about, you know... The witch. It's it's a song about Hollywood, really, because it's it says, um, "So you finally found your rhythm, man. Got your funky ass out of the can. Well, a girl's coming to you. Gonna show you what is true. The witch. She need a lover, boy. Maybe Ooh. it could be you." And it's very much about a song about Hollywood coming to seduce Jack. Wow. Yeah, like That's... almost explicitly. So, but the video doesn't feature anything in Cool World. It doesn't feature <laughs> scenes. No, not a bit. It's just the cult hanging out in a graveyard. Which is weird because um, the uh, Sex on Wheels video does. Really? They, they did get a Cool World video. Huh. Um, and considering that song was released a year before the movie came out, I was really surprised that they like remixed and, and had the... It's them. It's really... Did you ever do one of those like music videos where you lip sync and they like put stuff behind you? I've seen those. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think I, there's someone, there's somewhere there's one of me singing uh, some Alanis Morissette song. You ought oh, to know, boy. I think. I was a very <laughs> angry 11-year-old, I guess. That, that makes sense. But it looks like that. Like, it's really, <laughs> it's worth looking up because it looks like something you would do with your friends at the state fair. Oh, yeah. It's okay. really, the production values are not good. That's all but, they could uh, muster, I guess. Yeah, and they got, like, Hollywood, like, dancing up on the band. But that surprises me, then, that this did not get 
a music video, a cool world music video. How sad is that? I, I, I have a feeling it was because like, I feel like the cult was probably expecting this to be like the big single from the movie. And then when the movie didn't release it, they were like, all right, fine. Fuck you. We'll do it ourselves. Yeah. And so how did this one chart? This one, I don't think it charted. Oh. Uh, but yeah, it was it was written for the film, uh, released as an individual single, released on the soundtrack. It doesn't it doesn't appear on any um, any of the cult's other albums. But uh, yeah, but the witch is this is this very long sort of seven minute like epic. <laughs> that's it's very it's very much like what the cult were doing in the late eighties and early nineties. Yep. Kind of that groove metal. Kind of like like a hippie jam kind of thing, but it's very dark and seductive, and uh, Ian Asbury is just singing and grooving about about uh, Hollywood, like coming to seduce your boy. <laughs> it's I really enjoy this song. Like this yeah. is like, this is one of maybe maybe one of my favorite cult songs. Uh, I, having now just discovered it, it, it's it's up there. It's climbing, it's climbing the ranks. I it's know climbing the ranks. Like rise, you better watch it because the witch is coming for you. <laughs> Uh <laughs> Rise is so fucking good though. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I always had a soft spot for Wildflower. Mm. That song That's song is it's fucking jam. Yeah. Um But y'all that really because actually as I, as I was looking at, you know, what else got music videos, real cool world didn't get a music video. Huh. Yeah, yeah I would have assumed that would have. Yeah, no, it was my because Sex on Wheels was the best song on the record. Sorry. Right. So, um, where does the witch play in the film? The witch plays as Jack is cruising Fremont Street in Las Vegas. And he's going to the comic book shop. Okay. Yeah. So, like, the song is kind of looming in the background as Holly is about to, like, seduce him finally for the first time. Yes, before... Like she, or she, she, she seduces him, at one, or she calls out to him, and he emerges in the cool world for a brief moment to watch Holly dance. But then, to uh, my life at the Thrill Kill Call. Exactly. <laughs> and then um, the second time, or before the second time, the witch plays, and it's sort of like an ominous like foreshadowing that he's finally going to meet Holly in the, you know, in the flesh for the first time. Mm -hmm. So, it's kind of appropriate. Yeah. Alright. Like, All right. I, I actually really dig the way that this movie sort of places its songs, because they really kind of do it intentionally i think like mm -hmm. a lot of this a lot of the dance pop stuff is just sort of background audio but certain singles like the witch and sex on wheels like they really nail those those placements yeah those the some of the music cues in this are great and the downside being that they don't use that their, their best music cues don't appear on the soundtrack so the motor city remix um uh the devil does drugs that they actually don't appear where they should um and that they save uh real cool world for the end credits rather than running it because I, I think it would have popped more than play with me over the the opening credits yeah and that they there were i mean there were a lot of bad decisions that went into putting this film together mm -hmm. and for such a great soundtrack Whoa. so much of it was squandered what was done right was done like astoundingly right but there was a, a lot of real potential squandered. Do you think? Uh, do you think the Bowie song would have been a bigger hit if the movie had been a bigger hit? Absolutely. But because, because like one of the, one of the factors I think in um, from Batman Forever in uh, Kiss from a Rose being a big yeah. hit is the you know, Kiss from a Rose and uh, Hold Me Thrill Me being big hits was the fact that they played over the end credits 
kind of triumphantly in that movie. And, and the fact that it was such a big hit kind of fueled the soundtrack sales. Oh, of course. Um, but also that they got videos. So, yeah. which is one more way exactly. you haven't seen it on. So you're like, oh, but I'm... Um, but I feel like if this movie had caught fire, they would have like realized their mistake and gotten Bowie into a studio to make a video. Oh, know? yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think... that, and, and that might be what makes the album so much better than the movie is it really is stocked with a lot of great music that may or may not have either appeared in the film or would appear in very limited capacity. Right. Yeah. And so it, it does hold together as an, as an actual album outside of the movie, because none of it is really tied with the exception of the witch and um, sex on wheels. None of it's really tied to the film. Right, yeah. I mean, it hangs together as a soundtrack much better than the film hangs together as a film. <laughs> yes. Uh, because, like, there's the middle section of the film where, like, the plot really kind of kicks in, and you're like, okay, I'm into this now. And, like, the, the first act and the last act are just, like, nothing. It, just they just fall apart. A sloppy mess. Like, the middle, like, 45 minutes of this film really works. Yeah. So the last, al- the last song I want to talk about is uh, Electronics Disappointed. And I want to highlight two things about this. Um, one, Electronic is fucking, they're great. It's Bernard Sumner from New Order and Johnny Marr from The Smiths. So this one actually features Neil Tennant of the Pet Shop Boys. So it is a super group of 80s British awesomeness that rules forever. And this song plays right near the end. Holly is in Vegas. She's trying to get into the club to get the spike and the showgirls are dancing to it, which is a weird choice for showgirls. It (laughs) just seems I would have gone. Isn't that the scene where like she's, she's a human now. And then she like kind of takes over the nightclub act and starts singing, uh, that Marilyn Monroe song? No, that's earlier. This is after she's broken free of Jack. She's still in his car and is trying to get to the spike. Um, and she gets thrown out because she's asking, are you Vegas Vinny? Are you Vegas Vinny? Are you Vegas Vinny? And she, they kick her out and right, she, right, she right. climbs and kills Brad Pitt. Um, now, what's interesting to me about this is that this song was released as a single. It was released as a 7-inch and a 12-inch, but never appeared on a, an electronic album. Mm-hmm. Until 2006's Get the Message, which was their greatest hits. Wow. So the only place you could get this was the Cool World soundtrack. That's a, that's a recurring theme, I guess. Is like a lot of a lot of songs that you you would think would be you know studio album tracks wound up on on these soundtracks, kind of never to be seen or heard from again. Yeah, and it's um, electronic was you know they had their their big hit uh, was getting away with it which is also great. And fun fact about Morrissey um, and how much everybody hates Morrissey. Of which course, that's amazing. I just absolutely love. But um, but like Real Cool World appeared on 1993's Black Tie, White Noise. Oh, I and, okay. Yeah, and, and the witch, you know, um, I'm, up here. I'm still figuring out where the where the hell the witch went. <laughs> yeah, but... Um, uh, you know, all these, a lot of these other songs ended up on albums, but they 
didn't and it was it was you know by all accounts a a fairly successful single mm-hmm. disappointed uh you know did well enough but um it was right and it was right before um new order uh recorded republic um it was it was the last major commercial success so why not put it on an album why wait you know till 2006 that is that is strange like why why so long yeah they just i guess they thought well it's it's on a it's on a soundtrack we don't need to but it wasn't this was not like it was a b-side this Mm. was it was a commercial hit it was it you know it had the uh the four major formats um so i i don't know but i mean that's that's a, a, a kind of a running theme with a lot of soundtrack songs is like that's the only place they'll show up until, you know, years and years later when they'll they'll kind of finally appear on a, a greatest hits collection or something. Yeah. Like, um, this is, God, this is going to be so such a strange diversion. But uh, <laughs> one of my favorite Red Hot Chili Peppers songs appears of all places on the Pretty Woman soundtrack and then nowhere else but like a random like greatest hits package that they put together later on. Well, uh. Uh, similarly, um, Double Back, as we talked about last week, yes, absolutely. appears does not appear on the soundtrack, but appears on the uh, the greatest hits. Huh. So, well, at, at least the greatest hits like gave it its due because that song rules. That song fucking bangs. Yeah. So, um, and uh, there's uh, we could talk about a lot more of the Cool World soundtrack. Again, um, we've got Moby, we've got Brian Eno, we've got Ministry, The Future Sound of London, which is an, uh, Papua New Guinea is a super boring track that is garbage. That is like yeah. a real low point. Um, it sounds like nothing. But um, my my constant refrain that it's all just background video game noise. Yeah, that is video, that one. I think really is like the most video game of video game yeah. noise. But um, I want to talk uh, briefly on the uh the mark isham score sure which is a separate album and um there's two most of the score is sort of blah but the opening music we hear is called the cool world stomp Mm -hmm. and it's very short it's um it's only a few minutes but it is so it is such a jam it is sexy, it is jazzy, it is like really horn forward, it's so good. And then they re- the, the reprise of it, which I think is like 58 seconds long, is right at the end when he becomes a, a doodle. With that weird like, oh, if she killed him while he was a doodle, while she was a doodle, he becomes a doodle, which makes no sense. It's bullshit, and, it's real oh. bullshit. It's real like uh, dramatic tension bullshit. Yeah. And um, although props to Lon Ever being like that bitch, like the way she says it is so yes. mean. Oh, poor Lon that. Um, but it adds. Uh, it's not unlike the wolf's sort of shouting at Holly in the nightclub scene. It adds this vocal like, "Oh yeah," that really, really elevates like an already great piece of music. Right. To uh to just probably I wish I wish it was on this soundtrack because the rest of the soundtrack really isn't worth it. But the the I the score, I mean the soundtrack yeah. is, is worth it, but the, well, the score, those are the only two pieces, but they're really good. 
Well, I so, kind of wish that this this soundtrack had done what a lot of other soundtracks will do is they'll take one or two tracks from the score and put that at the like at the end of the the pop music soundtrack just as like a, oh by the way for those of you who like orchestral stuff here's a little taste of that yeah you know like I wish that I wish that this soundtrack had done that because I do like a lot of that the jazzy like Mark Isham stuff on this yeah. soundtrack um but it really doesn't uh because the rest of it is really just filler between right. those two points. Yeah. So, I'm... Um, Alright. Uh, yeah, uh, so, I guess, final uh, update for the cult and the witch. Uh, <laughs> originally appeared on the Cool World soundtrack, and then subsequently on four separate Greatest Hits collections. <laughs> nice! So, so the cult knew what they had, and <laughs> they constantly exploited it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, well, they should have, because they rule. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely so uh so my question is does this hold together as a soundtrack album i think it does all right as as much of it as is, i keep calling it just background video game filler you know it's it's listenable like you i cruised around town for like three hours listening to the soundtrack and i never got bored of it yeah like i th i think it holds together like it it gives you the the bright spots of the film like the the music cues that you you know and love if you know and love cool world and it gives you <laughs> so a lot of like yeah this is this is this is libby cudmore's uh favorite album i, I guess no let me <laughs> let me let me not say that <laughs> this is like pure libby i guess yeah, this, yeah there you go this is like pure libby pop soundtrack you know 101 <laughs> yep basically yeah um yeah. this I always, I got, I think I actually got this soundtrack when I was at grad school. So like I spent mm -hmm. a lot of time like writing my first noir novel to this soundtrack. So yeah, I do, I love you've, it. You've spent a lot of time with this soundtrack. I have. I, really I only have. just discovered it uh, this weekend for this podcast and I'm, it's made a new fan. I'll well, I'm that. sorry you waited this long. Next <laughs> time, don't, because it's awesome. <laughs> Woulda, coulda, shoulda. Yeah. So uh, I think this will probably end up being a reoccurring theme as we go through this. Is like Libby's marvelous taste in trash music and trash movies. Mm -hmm. So um, I wish that uh, Monkey Bone and Cutthroat Island had better soundtracks because then we could talk about those. Because <laughs> I also love those. And Monkey Bone, very similar to Cool World. And that is just trash. But yeah, uh, Cool World is definitely worth a listen, if not necessarily worth a watch. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it's it's a fascinating movie, but I just, I don't know that I liked it very much. Yeah, it's not. I, it's it's a beautiful, it's like, it's cool to watch, just turn the sound off, I guess, and just like look at it as a piece of art. Or put the so, Cool oh, World soundtrack on while you watch it. There you go, yeah. Turn the sound off and just put on the CD and go to town. As I was looking for this, obviously I've, I've got the CD, it is not available on Spotify. And wow. this is something that you and I uh, were talking about a little on Twitter, that Spotify is now doing, the, people are getting rid of the soundtrack album and just going with the playlist, which is garbage. Yeah, when I originally tried to listen to this on, not on Spotify, but on YouTube, uh, a lot of the tracks were restricted in the U.S. Like, you you couldn't watch couldn't watch or listen to them. So I'm glad I found myself an actual physical copy. I can't believe you actually found a physical copy. That is amazing. Like, you, like I ordered mine from Amazon. The, the, the big thrift store here in town, Ed McKay's Used Books, is, has a, an amazing treasure trove of just garbage that you can sift through. And, most, and like, the soundtrack section is heavily stocked. Nice. Like it is, it is made for this podcast. I love it. Um, but yeah, but that, um, 
at this and I guess that will make the licensing for you know these Spotify playlist soundtracks easier. Mm-hmm. But I feel like you lose out on sort of some some really cool tracks that might not the licensing might not be available now. Like I'm thinking right, like Bright yeah. Lights Big City, um half the stuff on that isn't available because it's prints or because it's you know whatever. So a physical copy has some cachet and I yep. just think that to go to the Spotify playlist, I worry that you're gonna end up with like the same nine songs over and over. Probably probably, yeah. But like that's just um one of the constant refrains you'll see on on Twitter if you follow, you know, film Twitter is you know, don't get rid of your DVDs because streaming is not as reliable as you think it is. No, it isn't. Um and I mean I my husband buys more DVDs than I I stream stuff because I'm lazy mm-hmm. and because there isn't a whole lot that I want to necessarily own. Um I've got only gonna watch it once, but yeah. Oddly enough, uh, Cool World is available on Amazon Prime to stream. So you got that going for you. Yeah, um, I have it on DVD. It is one of the few films I actually do own on DVD. Um, and part of that's because I move a lot, but I also buy records. So it's like yeah. not on me about my DVD collection. You have three bins of records. Let me tell you something about moving physical media. <laughs> I just moved into a house and I have three giant boxes of DVDs waiting to be unpacked. Mm-hmm. So I, I know the struggle is real. And, and uh, meanwhile, you know, I have my one tiny crate of, of uh, LPs, you know, <laughs> not nearly taking up as much space. Yeah, no. And, and my records are heavy. Uh, yeah. So that's that's where it's gonna, we're going to leave it for uh, for this week on OST Party. Uh, if you've got any questions or comments or recommendations for future episodes, you can get at us at uh, OST Party on Twitter or email us at ostpartypod at gmail.com. Uh, Libby, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me at Libby Cudmore on Twitter. And and, uh, and at Record Saturday on Instagram. Mm, yeah. If you like pictures of my cats. <laughs> and uh, you can find me on Twitter at Cordial Wombat. And the same at Cordial Wombat on Instagram. If you like pictures of nothing. <laughs> I take a lot of dumb pictures of uh, touristy shit. That's kind of my thing. Yeah, they're awesome. So what's coming up next week on the podcast? Uh, next time, we will be discussing the Smash Mouth Paradox. Ooh, that sounds terrifying. In uh, the late 90s and early 2000s, Smash Mouth was on every single movie soundtrack ever made. Yes, it was required by law that you have Smash Mouth's all-star on literally every soundtrack produced between those years. If you didn't, you were thrown in Guantanamo Bay. Yes. Fun fact. And not only that, but Smash Mouth was there for it. It is all connected. It is all canon. And we'll talk about it next time. (laughs) Aren't you glad you found this podcast? Anyway, uh, so for OST Party, I am Joseph Wade. And I'm Libby Cudmore. Buy the ticket. Take the ride.